The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, you're open to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. We're in the third week of a sermon series entitled Worthy of It All. And um, if you're a guest with us or you're not a part of the Christ Church family, these sermons in this series are going to present to you a series of uh, portraits of a fully devoted life. What does it look like to have had an encounter with the Lord Jesus that alters everything? And if you've had a real encounter with the real Jesus, your life will never be the same. Somebody say amen. amen. And so that is what we have discovered, and that is what the scriptures present, and that's what the series is about. But the series is also a pivotal moment for us as a church, and we are walking through a, a alteration in our strategy and our expansion. We've been growing really consistently for about eight years since we started with about 50 adults to now between six and 703 services on Sunday morning and hundreds more online. And it's, it's been a privilege to be a part of the momentum of life transformation that God is bringing in our community. But we are not here because of a church. We are not here because of a sign. We are not here because of a brand. We are here as a part of the kingdom of heaven, the body of Christ, for the purposes of God in our generation. And so we have sought to maintain momentum and to mobilize every member. Um, this is not a, a great church to go to because we have a great staff or a great location or comfortable chairs or whatever it is that are the preferences that drive people in their search of a church. Um, we are here because every single one of us, myself included, but every one of you are also called and commissioned to go into the world to bring about fruitfulness for the purposes of God in ways unseen on Sunday mornings. Can I get amen? And so we believe that. We want to, as a church, maintain the momentum of growth. We want to mobilize every member, and we want to step into the fruition of being a faithful church, which is a multiplying church. And so we've had a strategy to do that. We figured we would keep growing here in Port Orange, centrally located to the county. Uh, all the growth is, the urban growth is in our direction. And so we, we're going to build a, a big sanctuary and maximize this campus for about Eleven to 1,300 people on a Sunday. And then our goal was to start church plants, to, to put together a Saturday night service and to get a church plant team and to move into the other cities of Volusia County. And so we planned to do that, but interest rates and construction costs made that prohibitive for us and unwise. And so we sought the Lord about what he would have us to do. And he led us to uh, purchase a second campus, Beachside in Daytona, 24,000 square foot uh, First Presbyterian Church, and that's currently under renovation, and we're going into a season where we're becoming one church in two cities and going multi-site, which was never part of the plan. It's not a part of the long-term solution, but it is what God is providing, and it is a, a stretch for all of us. And so as we stretch and as we prepare ourselves to go into new ways of doing church, into new cities, into, I mean, it's always hard, even when we add a service, the people that you're, you love seeing at church and I'll go to a different time and it feels different. And to me and to our staff, it can feel like we have three different churches here and three different services. And it's gonna feel even more that way when we're in two different cities and multiple services. And, and so there is gonna be a sacrifice, but nothing good ever came without a sacrifice. Can I get an amen? Any married folks in the house today? If you're looking for the perfect spouse that does for you whatever you want, that's not marriage, right? That's slavery, right? That's not, that's not what this is about. Everything good comes with sacrifice. And so as we posture ourselves to be mobilized and to step into this next season that God has for every one of us, we don't want to focus on the strategy. We don't want to focus on the need. 
We're not trying to focus on how cool it's gonna be to have a bigger building and more options for meeting spaces. There's lots of blessings, but our focus can't be on any of those things. Our focus has got to stay on Jesus. And everything that God calls us to do, all the uncomfortable things, have got to stem from and flow from a heart that says he is worthy of it all. Do you know this? And so it's gonna look different. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna feel weird, and there's gonna be sacrifices. But we are, we are stepping into what God has called us to do as a church in this generation. And we are just getting prepared for what is about to happen. This thing we're doing is not what God is about to do. It is getting ready for what God is about to do. Do you understand this? Uh, many of you, most of you, really all of you, if you're paying attention, have an assignment that's different than anything you've ever experienced. God is calling you to step up to step out and to do some things that you never considered a possibility. And so here we are in this, in this uh, series. It's gonna culminate on October the 22nd with what we're calling Say Yes Sunday, which is when I'm gonna ask you to commit to serving in a service at a location if you're not already doing that. Um, and we're gonna try to fully staff the launch team for Daytona and make sure that we're not hemorrhaging all of our best volunteers to Daytona and then not having the right people that we need here for the services that remain in Port Orange. And so there's gonna be a chance for you to serve. There's also gonna be an opportunity for you to give or to sow. The scriptures regularly talk about our financial offering in terms of seed. Why? Because seed, you can do two things with it. You can eat it or you can sow it. You can keep it for yourself and then it's gone forever or you can put it into the ground where it yields more for you to eat later and also more for you to sow later. And so there's gonna be an opportunity for you to sow into this work and there is a need. We have about $150,000 gap between what we need to do in order to get into the building and what we want to do in order to fully utilize the space that God's entrusted to our care. And I believe that we have the assets present in our church family to be able to do everything that God's put in our heart and to move into that building having it fully functional. I totally believe that. But that's gonna come from our uh, commitment to honor Christ with our, with our offering on the 22nd and to give in a big way so we actually have the cash to do that. We're not gonna borrow any more money. So we'll see. So you have an opportunity to sow and to serve. But today I wanna to talk to you about the mandate that's upon us as Jesus followers to share, to share our faith, to, to live lives of testimony. And so this third installment of the Worthy of It All series, the sermon title is Newsworthy. Somebody say newsworthy. Newsworthy. And I wanna give you from Psalm 40 uh, a picture of what it looks like to share your faith. Oftentimes we think about sharing our faith as like a spiritual discipline that we're not good at and don't like. How many of you guys have ever had a sales job? Raise your hand. How many of you like liked your sales job? Keep your hand up, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of you. God wired you special. And we tend to think that way about sharing our faith too, that there's some people who are just good at it and they're kind of gifted at it. And for the rest of us, it's the thing we know we're supposed to do or we don't really do. And so I wanna talk about that today. And in order to do that, I wanna to turn to Psalm chapter 40 and here's what it says. Let's read it together, Psalm 40. Verses one to five. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust 
in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim. Somebody say, I will proclaim. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that's been read in our hearing. God, we thank you not only for what it says to us, but what it speaks that is true about us. God, not only how it informs our view of you and reminds us of what you have done, but how it proclaims who you are to those who are far from you. God, I pray that your blessing would fall on the one who makes you his trust today. For every man and woman who turns away from the lies of the proud and turns in trust to you, God, would they have this experience? And I pray, Lord, that as we grow and develop and mature as a church family, God, I pray that we would be people who have the testimony of your faithfulness quick on our tongue. God, an eagerness to talk about your many thoughts toward us and your wondrous deeds day after day, month after month, season after season. You are our rescuing king. God, let our stories be filled of your faithfulness, God. May we be the people who proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Help us now. Inspire us. Fill us with fresh wind and fire for the season you are calling us into. We invite you, Holy Spirit, be at work in us. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. How many of you guys um, travel a bit, leave your house from time to time? I mean, we've got some snowbirds who are in Christchurch. They're not, they're not back yet. But uh, you know, when you leave your house for an extended period of time, you kind of want to get it ready to leave, Yeah. I know some of you maybe are not like this. There's some like, I'm sure there's some like college frat boys who just walk away, just whatever it is. But uh, Tiffany, when we travel, she always likes to make sure that when we come home from wherever we've been, that our house is like ready to receive us in like its best order way. Anybody else like that? Do you guys do this? Like, you know, the bed is made and the house is clean. There's no dishes in the sink. And like, it's just like, it looks like it's ready to have the realtor come in and take pictures. Like that's what the house needs to look like. So that's like her jam. And so whenever we travel, we always like set aside time to make sure the house is ready for our return. And then we kind of like back ourselves out of the house, lock the door. And so we're ready to come back. So we, uh, we, we went on vacation for two weeks, which is the longest we've ever been away from home to date in our entire marriage. And so we had everything kind of ready to go. And we, we have a whole day of travel and we get to our location and I get a little buzz on my phone and it's our ring camera. Um, which I'd set the outside cameras not to buzz because people walk by all the time and I didn't want it to buzz. It was the inside camera. And I'm like, okay, this is odd. And I open it up and I press the motion notification. And y'all, there was a rat <laughs> this big in our house. <laughs> Vacation ruined. Officially... So here I am trying to like navigate, like, what do I do about this rodent? Where did this thing come from? How do I get it out of the house? The whole house. And I'm, all, I'm also thinking back my house, like, 
our house is, it might as well have burned to the ground while we were gone for the way this is gonna hit Tiffany and the way that she left the house and now, I mean, I, she did end up finding, finding out because um, I tried to keep it from her. I tried to like protect her so she could enjoy her vacation and like rally the troops to get some help over there. Um, but because we wanna stay married, we also have complete access to each other's phones. And so she just happened to pick up my phone and she's seeing, why, why are you texting so-and-so to go in our house? The jig was up, you know? And uh, so I told her what was going on. But I mean, by day one, she's ordering new sheets on Amazon. She's got a whole plan of how we're gonna make it in at one in the morning and what we're gonna do to disinfect the house. It's a whole thing. Anyway, um, you're like, why are you telling us this? Uh, the reason is, is because uh, Julian, our six-year-old, he sits in big church. He doesn't like going to class, whatever. I was the same way, so we just put up with it. And um, so he's used to me telling these like family stories in my sermons. And so from that that day, which has now been like six or eight weeks ago, uh, he, every single sermon before I preach, he goes, are you going to tell him about the rat? <laughs> and at first I was like, but no, I'm not going to tell him about the rat. Uh, I don't want to talk about that, you know? Um, and then he was like, kept asking, kept asking. And I was like, well, buddy, that's a really good story. So we need to save that story for like a really good time. We don't want to waste that story. And he's like, oh, Okay. And then he just asked every week, like with bigger excitement, are you going to tell him about the rat? You going to tell him? And he keeps asking over and over and over and over. And um, we, we did get the rat out. Funny, I got um, traps and I, we, we ended up figuring it out. The, the, our whole road, International Speedway Boulevard, we live right by there. They're, they're tearing up the whole road and they're replacing all of the sewage and drainage and all the runoff, all the conduits. And so they're upsetting the whole world underneath of the ground. And so this is where this whole thing came from. And the problem is solved. Uh, I got one of those big, you know, big traps. And I was working with Julian to set it. And I was saying, buddy, be careful. You're going to get your finger in there. If you're, not, if you're not careful, it'll snap your finger, you know? And he was telling somebody, he's like, yeah, we got a, we got a trap for the rat. It, uh, the, the rat goes to get the peanut butter and it gets his finger. And I was like, yeah, it gets his finger. That's, that's what happens. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, so we eradicated the road and everything was fine. But I mentioned the story because it's got me thinking about uh, the idea of things being newsworthy, about being worthy of sharing with other people, you know? And I loved that Julian was just, he had this like constant impulse that all of you would know uh, about the rat. And um, it had me thinking back to my days in um, community college. So when I felt, I was, I was pursuing a career towards architecture and I love building and design, but when I felt called into ministry, I thought, well, let me alter the, my course so that I'm taking some classes that are kind of like helping me get ready for communication, public communication. And so I switched my major to journalism and broadcasting. And I took journalism classes and writing classes and broadcasting classes where you just read off the teleprompter and, and um, you're talking head, all that kind of stuff. And it's amazing to me how much journalism has changed in the last 20 years. And I'm not going to go off on that soapbox. <laughs> Um, no more actual journalism. Journalism officially died. We had a funeral for journalism. There is no, much, there's no such thing as journalism anymore, just activism. Somebody say amen. amen. Now it's just a question of what kind of activists are you listening to? But you used to have this thing called journalism. And in journalism, uh, there was a process by which you would evaluate whether um, something was newsworthy, whether it was worth talking about, whether readers would want to read it or viewers would want to view it. And um, so I was trying to remember for tests, and I'm not a good test taker, and so I put an acronym to everything. And so in order for something to be newsworthy, I put a little acronym together that I call PITCH, P-I-T-C-H, PITCH, just like you're pitching to your editor, hey, I want to do this story, and is your story newsworthy? And when I think about the picture of Psalm 40, it has all of those elements. 
This is, this is someone who is compelled by an experience that they can't but share with other people and they want other people to experience it. They know that there is a blessing to be found for the one who hears about and trusts in the Lord and the fact that God is fixated and fascinated with you constantly and has always got his mind on you and if you're attentive, he's always doing things for your good. And it's easy for us to live a life missing that, but when we recognize the blessings of God and the interventions of God and the rescue of God and the power of God, uh, all that we can really do in, in response is to proclaim and tell everyone uh, that God is so much better than you can imagine and doing so much more than you can notice. And unfortunately, we tend to think about sharing our faith like we are a second grader on the, with our lunch pail open on the playground trying to get our neighbor to eat our broccoli florets that we don't want. Really? You know, like we have this disposition, like nobody cares. We have this disposition, like faith is supposed to be this personal thing. That's like, okay, you're a person of faith. Fine. That's like, you know, that informs your moral character and your decision-making and your belief system and how you vote and whatever. But we don't talk about that in polite company. And so there's this number one objection. And then number two, you just have an assumption that people don't want to talk about Jesus or God or any of those things, that it's not a topic they're interested in. And so it's broccoli. You know, they don't want it. They don't, you don't want to talk about it. You, you're not even sure how you feel about it. And so you just shut your lid and just leave the whole thing well enough alone. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. And it's even more of a challenge if you're a faithful follower of Jesus because like Jesus literally told us that we're supposed to be doing this. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying, literally, I am the boss, the king of the universe. And then he starts giving imperatives. And the first one is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's not an option. Do you realize this? It's literally the first thing Jesus says all of us are supposed to be doing is making disciples. And this comes through living a life that says with your words, he is worthy of it all. He's worthy of my words. He's the central character in all of my stories. I see his divine intervention in everything that I walk through again and again and again. He should be on our lips, and so we're commanded. There's also the example Jesus gives. I mean, think about the many times where Jesus is ministering while he was in his physical earthly ministry, and he's just healing the whole town, okay? Miraculous healing. Everybody lines up. Jesus doesn't go to bed until everybody's healed, and then when they wake up the next morning and people are assuming Jesus is going to do round two and start doing all kinds of cool stuff for the neighboring villages. He's gone out to a desolate place to pray. I think about Luke chapter four, the end of Luke chapter four. It says it was daytime after all this healing had taken place. He departed and went to a desolate place and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. You see, the news about Jesus is meant to get out not to be held. It's meant to be told and not to be kept. And this is what Jesus displayed and this is what Jesus commanded. But if we experience sharing our testimony and sharing the truth about who God is as a task that you don't enjoy, the problem is not with the message. The problem is with how you're seeing it. And so I wanna take just a little bit of time to talk to you about how you ought to see this good news of the kingdom. Have you ever asked somebody a question and you suddenly tapped into their passions and then you just got like a full-on monologue, like high-speed monologue? Have you guys ever had this? 
This happened to me once when I was a young pastor in church. I was in a small church. It was about this big. And everybody knew them, each other. And so I was doing the announcements and I was saying, well, congratulations to all of our graduates and all of the kids who moved up from this grade to this grade. And, and I made the mistake of saying, anybody have any uh, awards or anything they wanted? To? And this mom stood up and she went, oh, and she just, I mean, she preached about her daughter I unstoppably for 20 minutes. I mean, I literally, like, I didn't know how to stop a human from talking in church at that point. I never developed that skill set, right? Now we have security guards. They'll get, they'll take you out. But, but she could not stop. And you know, everybody's like uncomfortable and then laughing. And then it was like a whole thing. Have you ever had this experience where you really discover what somebody's passionate about? How many of us actually share our faith that way? How many of us light up and can't stop talking about who the Lord is to us and what he's done for us and how we couldn't live without him? and how he's worthy of giving your everything to you. And where the blessing actually is, Psalm 40 says, blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust, who doesn't turn to the proud or go astray after a lie. We ought to be the people who are cutting through lies like jello, and our world is saturated with lies. We ought to be so in love with Jesus that, that all we wanna do is see people set free from the lies that they go after. And so I want to challenge you. I wanna challenge you, and I, I feel like it's not so much about me telling you to do a thing you don't wanna do. It's about me asking you to consider that maybe you haven't seen it the way that you're supposed to see it. You know the story in Mark chapter one when Jesus cleanses the leper and he tells him not to tell anybody. He says, go to the priest, tell the priest you're clean, but don't say anything to anyone. And in verse 45 it says, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Couldn't stop, why? Because when you've experienced healing from an incurable disease, it's pretty much all you care about for a while. Can I get an amen? And we get this, we get new converts, they get super excited, but the longer we've been following Jesus, we tend to normalize and shut down, and now we just go about life as though it's just part of our existence. And so I also know that there's, there's a lot of hesitation because people feel like um, everyone's gonna be confrontative and they're gonna ask questions you don't have the answers to or they're not gonna, they're gonna reject you. You know, sometimes we go full George McFly on this whole thing, you know? What if I just don't think I can handle that kind of rejection, you know? Maybe you're seeing it wrong. <laughs> Proverbs 25, 25 says, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Proverbs 15, 30 says, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. Brothers and sisters, we live in a feeble and thirsty world and we're carrying with us what is cold water for a part soul and what is strength for a weak and feeble world. And we've gotta to start to see it that way. So what creates a newsworthy story? Here's my acronym from college, you ready? Pitch. This is, what we would, this is what we would have to know. If your story is gonna be good, it needs to have both prominence and proximity. Prominence um, and proximity. If you guys open up the newspaper and there was a story in there about the retirement of a high school football coach from middle Kansas, how many of you would be compelled to read that story? Probably none of you unless you graduated from that high school in middle Kansas and that was your football coach. Can I get an amen? You see, a story has to have some prominence about its main figure, and it has to actually impact you kind of where you're at. And the gospel does have those features. It is a story of the most prominent person that's ever existed, namely Jesus, the Son of God. 
and he's come to a universe near you. Isn't that good news? I mean, the whole story is God made the world and everything in it, and then we're all fallen and spread out, and we go after our own things, and we live a disconnected life from God, and we would never come back to him, but he loved us so much that he came all the way to us. And so the most prominent character in history, in reality, in the universe, has come all the way down to us to live among us, to die for us, and to move by his Holy Spirit now into the hearts of everyone who would yield the leadership of their life to the Lord Jesus. There is no more powerful a story than the prominence and proximity of the gospel. Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. You know how many people love to hear the word preached and they love to grow? And a lot of times, you know, a lot of churches in America are anemic. They, don't, they, they have one verse and then seven helpful things to have some better outcome and they're not getting the scriptures. And so a lot of times people come to Christ Church and they get a lot of Bible in the sermons and they go, oh, I just want more, I just want more, I just want more. And I've had people say to me, why don't we just have less singing? Like do one song and then just preach for an hour and a half, you know, or whatever. And part of the reason this is a bad idea is because we were made to sing. Do you know this? There's something about a connection to music that lifts our emotional center into reality where sometimes it is not connected. And there's something compelling about walking into an environment where you have zero passions and seeing people move to tears and joy of smiling faces, shouting at the top of their lungs because of the God they're singing to. That's a compelling witness. Do you understand that? And so it's not just our song. I love Psalm 100, but our story is about the most prominent being in the universe, the one who made all this and by whom all this was made. The second part of the acronym is IMPACT. Somebody say IMPACT. IMPACT, IMPACT. Arguably the most important element of newsworthiness is whether or not an item being communicated impacts the audience. So sometimes you read an article and it has zero, has zero to do with you. If you want to talk about um, the value of your 401k and you're like 23, you're like, nah. I don't even look at that. I don't even get statements for that. But if you're 64 and a half and you'd like to stop working, you're interested, you know? We got to recognize that this story is for everyone. You know this. The story is for everyone. This is not a Christian thing. Sometimes we, get, we play into the lie that the world puts on us of partitioning everybody into groups and you are in the Christian category and there's like a whole world of other stuff going on out there that's equal or maybe even more important to you or to the world than your Christianity or kind of some little niche group. That is not the story of the gospel. Do you know that? The story of the gospel is this whole world is God's and everyone in it. And he died to redeem everyone. And there is a universal offer of salvation and repurposing and an eternal hope and future for you. Its impact is for everyone. There is no one on the earth for whom the good news about Jesus is not directly and immediately impactful. Do you know that? And if you get it in your head that they don't care or it doesn't matter or it doesn't pertain to them, you won't ever share that good news. 
And so it's got prominence and proximity, and it's got impact. And unfortunately, we're also just a little too self-focused. Can I just say that? It's like a human problem, but it's like a distinctly like prosperous American problem. Like we're really, really into just me. It's nauseating, actually, if you start paying attention to it. We're kind of acclimated to like the whole superstardom of the world that's so me-centric, but like we don't live a whole lot differently. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21, the love of Christ now controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And so there is a death to be, to be died that you don't have to die. Isn't that good news? Every, no one wants to die. There's a death that's been died to death so that you don't have to. And he died for all. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He's not just the guy. He is the man. He is the savior. He is the mediator. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. He's the one who initiated this. He, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's no longer about us. And this is that ministry that in Christ, God was reconciling the whole world to himself. And so it has impact for every single person, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Think about that for a second. God wants to make an appeal to every lost person and he wants to do that through us. And here's even the verbatim appeal. Look at this. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here's the reality we all live in. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Aren't you glad that your sin doesn't stand against you? Aren't you glad that in Christ you are the righteousness of God? That that burning center of God's love that will come to us in final judgment to destroy everything not of God will, will, will burn away every bit of chaff out of your life, every wasted word, every sin and mistake, and all that will be left is the burning righteousness gifted to you through your connection with Jesus, and there you will exist with God for eternity. That's what God wants to do for and give to everyone. And so impact. T is timeliness. Timeliness, timeliness. Um, you ever like read a newspaper article about something that's no longer relevant? You ever like do a little Google search and you bring up an article from 2015 and you're like, well, that doesn't matter. I did, you ever, you ever done a, maybe you're trying to buy a house and you're like, what are the current interest rates? And you'll get like a little autofill like, is 3.5% a good rate? And you're like, oh, you're living in the past, my friend. No longer relevant. A good story, a good newsworthy story has got to be timely. It's got to actually connect to what's going on right now. And we, 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 uh, we, we give on this one also. You know, we, we, we miss the urgency of this gospel call. We don't live with it. Uh, we think about it sometimes. When we do, we go, ooh, you know? I used to, um, they called me the preacher on the construction crew that I was on before I was a preacher. Imagine. And, and um, I was always trying to like push everybody. And I had this one guy, Junior, and 
I, was, I would preach the gospel to him and he, he would play it all back to me and he'd go, yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, do you understand? And I would try to like put him on the spot. Like, don't you wanna, don't you wanna receive what God wants to give you? You don't wanna return from your sins? And he goes, nope. He goes, because if what you're telling me is true, then I can live like hell until right before I die and then I can repent and God will still forgive me. That's what he said. Thought he had me nailed. I was like, dude, what if you get hit by a bus? You know, what then? Oh, you see, there's an urgency to this gospel message. It ought to always be on our tongue because it's relevant right now and it never goes out of style. There's no expiration date on the gospel message and there's, it's never too late. As long as you're breathing, there is time for you, but we ought to be people of urgency. First Thessalonians 5 verse 2 and 3 says, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You know that he's going to come back and nobody's going to be expecting it. It's going to come in a moment you're not expecting. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. It's timely. It's timely. This Jesus, who we are saying is worthy of it all, who we keep giving our attention to and connecting our hearts to, what we're seeing and saying is that this good news is real now and it makes a difference now. And aren't you glad that it makes a difference now? We're gonna baptize 16 people tonight. Isn't that exciting? 6 p.m. at Sunsplash Park, 16 people who've given their lives to the Lord. And we got three more in the hopper because two people are gonna be out of town and one's got COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're already stacking them up for the next baptism. Listen, immediately when you put your trust in Jesus, everything changes. Do you remember? Do you remember? It's not a you get to go to heaven when you die kind of a transformation. It's a now everything is different. Now I'm no longer held captive by the things that I used to trust in. Now I'm no longer plagued by these sins and held back. Now I have peace with God. I have peace in my spirit. I have joy that comes from outside of me. I'm overwhelmed with love. I've given new gifts, new purpose, new reality, new identity. Everything changed. This is the most timely message anybody could ever experience. A good news story also always has controversy. Aren't you glad the gospel is just so uncontroversial? <laughs> this might be the thing that we're the most afraid of, is actually getting into a conflict with somebody. Most of us are pretty conflict avoidant. Raise your hand if you're conflict avoidant. Yeah, we don't like conflict, typically. Some of you, I won't talk about you. Some of you are eager to lean in, a little aggressive, but for the most part, we're conflict avoidant. And when we think that there's a controversy, there's a judgment. And, and right now, our whole world is centering around people's lifestyles and their choices and their identities. We, we have literally, as Christians, as the church in America, we have allowed the lies of the enemy to set the parameters for the conversation. Do you realize this? We actually receive every underlying presumption that stands in opposition to the gospel, and then we feel like we have to somehow like address that or beat that or somehow win in a debate with that. And that is just blatantly false. Do you realize this? And the good news about Jesus dissolves all of those lies. That's what I love about the truth. Isn't it great? Don't you love the truth? Because the truth always comes out, doesn't it? It takes so much effort and energy to suppress the truth. You have to tell lie upon lie upon lie upon lie upon lie. And then one little, one little fact sometimes is enough to go, oh, no, that was the truth the whole time. And this is what God has called us into. He's called us to walk into light, called us to walk into truth. And so, yes, there is conflict. There is controversy. There is tension around this story, but the real tension isn't the things you're afraid people are going to ask you. Do you know that? It's not about whether someone's born a homosexual or not. 
It's not about whether all roads lead to God and if their genuine Muslim faith is the same as your genuine Christian faith. Those are the things we think are gonna catch us up. That's not what's gonna catch us up because all of those things are lies. But behind those lies, you know what there is? There is an enemy that's waging war for the souls of mankind. That's where the real war is lived. Do you realize this? And here's the thing. When you stand firm against the enemy, when you're prayed up and you're willing and you've tied up those shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace and it says, I don't matter what conflict I'm gonna get into. In fact, I'm gonna grab controversy by the horns and say, this is worth considering because it's different than everything that you've heard. I'm actually gonna tell you God has a plan. No, God made man as male and female. That didn't used to be controversial, but now it is. God made a man and a woman to be married forever and to stay together and to be in a relationship based on covenant that there isn't an option to get out of. Ah! God made families to have children, more than 1.7 of them. God made you to work and to work hard and to build things and to invest and to, th and to think smart and to be a good employer and to care for people. These things are true and they're universally true. And there's, there's, there's lies that oppose these things that are very subtle and presumptive, but the reality is, is there's an enemy behind those lies. And we are worshiping the King Jesus who has defeated and destroyed the enemy. And he will dissolve these lies into a, putty, a puddle on the floor. Why? Because we all humans were made by God and for God. And we desire, we desire a sense of identity that comes from, wait, I don't have to decide who I am. God told me who I am. Wait, I don't have to look on the inside with how I feel or what I fear to tell me what my future looks like. No, my, I, have a, I have a hope and a future because I got a God who's got plans for me. That's what's the most real for me. No, I can be in a relationship uh, with my wife and it can be hard, but I can know that God's gonna be faithful and I can pursue faithfulness and we can have this marriage that's durable and it lasts, you know? We can live lives and give our lives away and maybe not have all the things that other people are able to have because we have too many children, but we're building a people for God and that's what matters to him. And all of this starts when our minds are unlocked by the good news of who Jesus really is. Do you see this? And so, yeah, there's a controversy, there's a conflict, but the conflict's in heaven. And so I'm inviting you, lift your eyes to see what we're a part of. It's not a debate. It's not a YouTube debate. It's not an opinion column. We're literally just telling the truth about the God who made the world and everything in it. And it's timeless and beautiful design that brings flourishing for all people. Lastly, the H in my pitch acronym is human interest human interest. Every good editor will tell you that if a, a story is about a complicated political or economic ideal versus um, you know, a kid who did a thing and everyone paid attention and there was a parade, they're going to go with the kid in the parade every time. Why? Because there's something in us that uh, is appealed to the story because it brings us into the story. And it's one of the reasons why I love reading the Gospels because the Gospel writers, writers present Jesus from an angle of human interest after human interest after human interest. I love the story in Mark chapter five, 21 to 43. It's too long for me to read, and at this point, I'm out of time. Um, but Jesus is um, beseeched to come to the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus' house, because his 12-year-old daughter is on her deathbed. 
And this is not a person who would have been favorably disposed to Jesus because those rulers of the synagogue were threatening the disciples of Jesus to be pushed out of the synagogue and not allowed in if they associated with him because he was a quote-unquote false teacher at that time. And so Jairus was moving outside of the socially acceptable because of his desperation for his daughter. And all of us can connect with that reality. We're like, I shouldn't be talking to this guy. I shouldn't be asking for help from this guy. I'm gonna get in trouble. But you know what? I care more about my daughter than I do about my boss. And so he comes with his desperation to get Jesus. And Jesus, immediately in compassion, moves towards him to go to the girl to heal her. But he's delayed. He's delayed because there's a woman who has been slowly dying and has been, been just wrung out of all of her wealth. And she has an issue of blood. She is bleeding and has been for 12 years. And there's a connection here. This little girl who's 12 years old is facing death. And there's this woman who's suffering for 12 years and, and experiencing this slow death. And Jesus, Jesus stops because the faith of this woman has driven her to touch his clothes, not even his body, his clothes. And that connection with her faith in Jesus instantly healed her. And that could have been enough, but Jesus stops the whole parade. Who touched me? Who touched me? And he waited. Everyone said, there's a crowd of people. Why, why would you even ask this question? People bump into you. No, 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 no. Someone touched me, and she knew he was talking about her, and so she comes forward. It was me. And the reason he stopped was to look her in the eyes and say to her, my daughter, your faith has healed you. He needed her to know that she was welcomed back home, that she was no longer on the outside, that she was no longer unclean, that she was no longer under a curse, that when her faith met God's provided Savior, that's where her identity changed forever. And this is what's true for every single person. Listen, you came to church today thinking a lot of untrue thoughts. A lot of untrue thoughts about God. You're believing some things that some preacher told you sometime that may not even be true, but you just received. And they're still just floating around in your head. And that's fine. Because all that really matters, because all that gets worked out over time, but all that really matters is that you have an enduring and empowerful relationship with King Jesus. And that's what Jesus wanted this woman to have. While he was having this interaction with this woman, the servant from Jairus' house comes to Jesus and says, don't bother him, your daughter's dead. And that could have been the end, but Jesus looks into the eyes of Jairus, her father, and says, trust me and let's go. And he goes to her bedside, and this is where the human interest really picks up, sends everybody out of the room, can't see this, and he speaks to her just as tenderly as he did to that woman, who for 12 years, for this girl's whole life, was suffering. And he says into this girl's dead ear, little girl, wake up. And that little word from Jesus brought her back to life. Listen, these stories are not just miracles. They are pictures of what has happened in our hearts, every one of us. So many of us went for a decades plus suffering under things nobody saw, but God saw. And when we came to Jesus, he healed us and changed our, our life forever. Some of us from a young age, beautiful, pure, simple, innocent, dead. And we heard the voice of our Savior. Wake up. And our journey began. Listen, that's your story. Your story is so powerful because it's the story of how Jesus met you. This is who God is molding us to be in this generation. Listen, we got 16 people getting baptized. That's awesome. A year from now, we could be having six people being baptized or 600 people being baptized or 6,000 people being baptized. Why? Because if you give testimony to Jesus, 
if you recognize this story that you've encountered, this person you've encountered is worthy of having this story told. He lifted me up out of the miry bog and he set my feet on a rock and he's made my steps secure. And there's a blessing for you if you'll put your trust in him. When that is the story that's on your lips and you can tell it a thousand different ways, that's when people's lives begin to change. Listen, invite them to church. They'll hear the Bible preached. They'll hear the gospel. It can happen in church. It can happen in church every single Sunday, but it can also happen in the coffee shop. It can also happen at the end of a text message. It can also happen in a conversation at a bus stop or at a school or in a waiting room. There is nowhere the gospel of Jesus can't transform lives if we will open our mouths. The person of Jesus is newsworthy. Can I get amen? And so let's get over the, the misconceptions we have. We're not trying to convince our grade school friend to eat our broccoli. We're giving cold water to parched souls and we're speaking life into the feeble and the broken all before it's too late. He's worthy of it all, isn't he? Maybe you're here today and you've never heard this story this way. And Jesus, for the first time ever, is compelling to you. And you're going, I want to switch from the path. I've been onto that path. The Bible calls that repentance. And you say, God, I believe you are who you say you are. And I don't have all my questions answered, but I know that I know that I know in my heart that you are my maker and that you can save me. You can forgive me and you can help me. And if that's happening in your heart right now, all that has to happen, Romans 10 tells us, you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you confess with your mouth and you will be saved because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. And that can happen for you today. And brothers and sisters, that can happen to any person that you will love enough and be bold enough to share this news with. Amen. God, I pray for every person in my hearing, the young and the old, the rich and the poor, the men and the women, Lord, in every spectrum of life, in every angle that we come to, God, I pray that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who is worthy of it all, that you would open our mouths to speak, Lord, that we would recognize that we've got the best news in the world. And God, I pray that as this news goes forward in a million different ways and in a million different flavors, God, that it would transform hearts and minds throughout this city and county and this world. God, I pray for a revival unmatched in history in our generation. You are worth it. You are worth it. And we are yours. Speak to us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Our prayer teams are going to be up here to pray with you. If you want to put your trust in Jesus today, they would be honored to lead you in a prayer of repentance. And you can get baptized tonight. And if you can join us at six, we'd love to see you, you guys. Have a great day. God bless you. We'll see you next time.